Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Green. In this week's episode, we wanted to step away from the art market and focus on a different area of the art world that we haven't touched on before. The National Academy of Design is the leading honorary society for visual arts in the United States. So what exactly is an honorary society and why is it relevant? Well, the Academy was established in 1825 and its role within the art world has evolved over time, and perhaps you haven't heard of it, but it's still so reputable today that artists such as Rashid Johnson and Julie Moretzu have recently become associated with it. So in this week's episode of the podcast, we chat with Sarah Reisman, Chief Curator and Director of NA Affairs at the National Academy of Design, and Thomas Moore, Director of Development at the National Academy of Design. Ultimately, the National Academy of Design is a long-standing, very reputable organization, and they're associated with many excellent artists, but in my view, it's still a little bit under the radar in many ways. So we wanted to have Sarah and Tom on to chat with us about it. Thanks so much for listening. Sarah and Thomas, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having us. It's great to be here. Yeah, excited to have this conversation. Absolutely. We're thrilled to have you on. So the National Academy of Design was established almost 200 years ago, and something that old is especially old in a place like America that's pretty young. So I think it'd be great to start with the history of the National Academy of Design. When was it established exactly, and why was it created initially? The National Academy of Design was founded in 1825 by 15 artists and architects who at the time were aware or had you know, visited uh, Europe, seen the academies of in Paris and London, and understood that there was a need for instruction and exhibition for artists and architects. They brought that idea back to New York and established the National Academy of Design. At the time, the arts of design included drawing, painting, sculpture, engraving, and architecture. Um, and initially in 1825, the 15 formed the Academy. And then the next year they elected, inducted 15 more academicians as they're called. Um, it was created because there was a total lack of art school and museum as we know them now. Um, and so it was a kind of opportunity to organize around instruction and exhibition opportunities for both artists and architects. Yeah, it's really just incredible to think about this time in history before we had this infrastructure in place that we do today with art museums and art schools. So the National Academy of Design was established in 1825, as you said, and the art world has grown and evolved. What has the Academy, it's kind of funny to ask it this way, what has the Academy been doing the past few hundred years? Well, Thomas and I are both relatively new to the Academy in the sense that we both started in the last year, right? So in in like spring and summer of 2021. Um, what happened in the early days was that the, the collective of the academicians, as a collective, they would, um, they, they would organize classes, drawing classes, salons, exhibitions. Um, and there was some collective kind of financial involvement, as I've read from the history, that um, members would you know, cover costs to bring busts and casts, architectural details, um, casts of the figure to draw from. So it was like a, a drawing, a drawing club to a certain extent. And then there were annual exhibitions where, um, which were reviving 
we're in the process of reviving them in a more serious way now, um, that would be a chance for members of the academy and other artists and architects to show their work. So I would say exhibiting in a way what we're most known for now in, in the kind of recent history has to do with the fact that Uptown, the National Academy of Design occupied several buildings on Fifth Avenue and 89th Street where there was a museum and a school. Um, and so the museum, I think in many ways, the museum and the school feel like the things we're best known for, but really what's actually underwrites the whole project are the living academicians of which right now the kind of maximum number is 450 members. I think we have 420 something right now. Meanwhile, there's a collection that's been growing and growing since the beginning. Um, and I know that we'll talk more about that, but the idea of artists and architects giving work to a collection is a very, very different model than what we, as I understand from my experience working in museums, how acquisitions are typically made. And if we think about a 200 year collection, the idea that each work or you know, it's predominantly works that have been given as diploma works means that we have a, a different there's a different register of art history and architectural history in this collection, um, which includes now around 8,000 works from 2,400 academicians over the years. So that's, I mean, you could say that largely what the Academy has done is built this collection and then it's recognized 2,400 Academy members for their contributions to the fields of art and architecture. You really encapsulated who we who we were, why we were founded, and um, maybe we'll get into in just a little bit where we're headed, um, which is what um, really drew me to the academy. This exciting moment in time where we're living, we're standing on our 200-year legacy, but we're pushing forward into the future in ways where we're always going to center the artist and architect and be a place for conversation. Um, that really will be put into this American canon of art history and culture all around. And so you have a really great exhibition in New York City up at the moment with some really reputable artists. And I wanna get into that with you, but before you even do that, tell us how does an artist actually join the Academy? And you mentioned the collection that you've been growing for a few hundred years. Where does it reside? What's in the collection? How diverse is it? All good questions. Um, the collection, <laughs> yeah, the collection, um, is as diverse as one can imagine American art to be. And I think in the last say 20 years, I think the the kind of diversity as we're talking about it in this moment um, is much more apparent. And there, de there definitely is a history at the, if we look at the beginnings of um, our history, you know, it's mostly white men, like mostly men, mostly white artists and architects um, I think there's a perception and it's understandable that we are a 19th century institution. And what we're really doing right now is trying to, uh, working to reposition that. Um, my title, as you mentioned, is director of NA affairs. NA stands for national academician. That's the title that an academician has upon being elected. And I'll get to the, your question about how someone's elected. Um, but what, what is interesting in reformulating the national Academy of design in the last year or so is that I think if you look at museums, a lot of times there's like a director of curatorial affairs. And I see my role, director of National Academician Affairs as being similar or parallel, but with a different aim, which is to engage a, a living community of artists and architects um, through different kinds of programs and resources. Um, something we've been talking about doing with the academicians is to kind of rebrand or relaunch membership so that it's something that is actively engaging for the nationwide community of members. 
Um, for instance, we had a discussion yesterday about doing some closed programs or programs geared towards academicians. Surely someone else could attend for research and development, thinking about like academy R&D, right? So a space where the academicians can talk about like new genres of artwork or, um, you know, political questions that affect their work. Um, maybe there's a, I don't know, kind of art ecology question somebody wants to explore. So to create a framework where we can support that, that as an example. To become a member, there's a very, I would say, up till recently, very antiquated electoral process um, that is de determined by a constitution. We actually operate with a constitution. <laughs> and um, within that constitution, um, the guidelines for election is that an artist, so let's say we're talking about an artist or architect member, that member can nominate, and they can nominate, um, and then the nomination has to be endorsed by another academician. And then from there, they're put on the kind of roster of potential academicians to be elected, so candidates, right? And that happens once a year, and I think it's the summer meeting, but it, this past year it was June 15th, which was my second day of work on the job. <laughs> um, and so each academician who's under consideration, typically, historically, it's been secret or it's been kept confidential that they're nominated. Um, of course, sometimes people know they're being nominated. Um, and then the nominating member who puts that you know, individual forward has to pull together supporting materials like um, documentation of their artwork, a letter of support. The letters of support are super interesting. Um, and some of them I used in the essay for the exhibition that you referenced um, that's here at the National Arts Club. So that, that electoral process, I think, was opened up a bit because um, I mentioned we, we've been talking a little bit about the collection, 8,000 works. Historically, when an artist or architect was elected, they are required to give a diploma work to the collection um, in order to have full rights to participation in such things as the election and other voting kind of frameworks within the academy to make decisions. And what we've decided and got support from uh, enough of the members to move it forward is to remove that requirement for the diploma work for five years so that anyone elected can just participate in the elections without giving the work in order to understand the community better before giving something. Because it's like for some artists, there's a kind of um, like, like there's re not reluctance, but I think I've heard from some artists, yeah, I'm not sure what to give. I'm not sure what's the right thing to give. So I'm, I, I need to think about it. I need to be careful because there is this idea of like, okay, it's a, it's a, a register, an archive, a history of American art and architecture for 200 years. What an artist or architect gives to that is important, but our feeling after doing, I mean, Thomas and I entered into this a little later than some of the other staff, but there's been a diversity, equity, inclusion, and access kind of uh, work happening within the organization. And one of the points that's come up with many of the members or academicians is this question of having to give this artwork before participating is sort of um, preventative. It's like for some people, if they don't know what to give, they'll never really get involved, right? Or they'll, it'll take too long to get involved and then other things come up that that's not, there's not that kind of barrier. And we also recognize that giving the diploma work to the collection for some artists, that's a, that's a bigger, um, it's a bigger ask because, because it's their livelihood, right? So, so we wanted to remove that and see how that works to see if it, it motivates or generates more participation in the election process. And also just, it feels more welcoming, right? To enter into an academy. Um, yeah, so, that, so that's, that's part of the, 
the dynamic around election and then how people are able to participate in the election. Now, any one of the academicians, whether or not they've given the diploma work, can be involved in the 2022 election. And so right now, as I mentioned, you have an exhibition in New York City up with some very prominent artists. And that's really what caught my attention. Artists such as Rashid Johnson, Julie Moretu, Gary Simmons, and several others. And you can see the artworks that they've contributed as part of their process of joining the Academy. And these are really reputable artists, have a lot of achievements in their careers already. Why do you think the Academy still resonates with artists like this, especially of this caliber today? I think um, the the current class of members, at least the few that I've um, had the opportunity to speak to, are really excited to join this roster of other artists and architects, right? So the Academy being this um, home, in my mind, of American art history and architectural history, really. Um, for the eight folks who we nominated in 2021, this opportunity to join the ranks per se, right? So they're now here uh, working with Sarah and Natalia, our associate curator. I think that's her new title. Mm-hmm. Um, they The two worked together on putting the show Consequences of Parlor Game together. And I think they were just intrigued by, you know, I, they may have heard a little bit here and there about it, but most compelling, I think in the moment would be joining this roster of artists that will forever live in the American canon of art history through the National Academy of Design. So that means, um, of course, eventually they'll give a diploma work, which we hope will um, join our collection, which has over 8,000 works. And I had the opportunity to visit the collection recently and just seeing our first one of our first works, which dates back to 1826, all the way up to the present where we just started to receive some uh, works from uh, artists from the class of 2020, I believe, mm-hmm. and everything in between. It, it's just an amazing sort of living archive of history that one can feel, touch, breathe, and experience. And now that we have a new sort of um, staff all around, the experience will be brought to life for everyone. So we're working on a project currently that'll digitize the collection so that anyone and everyone across the globe will be able to access all that we have in our collection through digital means. But beyond that, we have the curation department, which will be putting on shows across um, the nation, really, as we're leaning into our national identity um, and, and sort of less focus on the New York home base. And then we have a programs team that'll also be working to kind of activate these artists. So having conversations, really compelling conversations that maybe museums may not be able to have in the same way that we are, because we aren't a museum, we aren't a school. And there's this phrase that I'm blanking on now, but Sarah, I hope you'll jump in. A 200 year old startup. A 200 year old startup, but also the phrase that, you know, we're not a museum, we're not a school where, what's the phrase you? I mean, we're, we're beyond Uh, that. We're beyond that because- I mean, I think we're beyond the parameters of museum or school. And the reason is because we have this community of membership that defines. And also, I think what what's interesting is, um, and maybe not obvious, is that this is the, the oldest artist-initiated organization in the United States. And so any decision that's made about the future of the academy has to have buy-in from the members. That's very different than the sort of top-down administration that you would I, it's not a critique of museums, but there, I mean, it's, it's more hierarchical, right? So that I'm not saying we're just a, a big collective and the staff's a collective, but there's, <laughs> but there's a way in which the we input, can operate yeah. in, in ways that museums yeah. and schools right. can't. And I think right. there's just a bit of excitement around that opportunity to operate differently in the sort of um, art ecosphere at the moment. Right. So 
Um, the current class of academicians, I think they're bought into the excitement of the possibility. I think we're working on the, the sort of um, rest of the membership base to, uh, to join us on this journey toward creating a new. We're standing on the legacy of 200 years, but we're looking forward in creating really a new way in which we can operate, a new way where we can exist, putting artists and architect first always. And I don't think other institutions have that luxury really to say, you know, we're not going to be concerned with our acquisition committee because we actually frankly don't have one. So their voice isn't a thing that we have to contend with or the right. bureaucracy of an established institution like a museum or a school that has to answer to, you know, a board of directors for uh, revenue to come in and things like that. We, we just get the opportunity to operate differently. And through that, we're always going to put artists and architect first. And I think, um, I'm honored to work with the folks we get to work with and in this moment in time where we get to be different. Yeah, and you said you're like a 200-year-old startup. I think that's quite interesting, especially as you don't have a permanent exhibition space, but you have this vast collection. So I imagine those circumstances even force you to think more creatively, to be more nimble, to have that startup mentality to succeed and to think outside the box when it comes to how will you exhibit and share this collection with the broader public. Yeah. yeah, and even thinking of ways to partner with other institutions that um, we have the opportunity to do so in the moment. And I think sort of building on these relationships we're building in the moment, the relationships we had, all of these relationships will carry through when we do find our new home and build upon the community of not just the artists and architects who we serve primarily, but the general public. So looking for ways to engage all and any through um, all that we're doing going forward. And again, want to super emphasize the fact that for the last uh, 196 years or so, the Academy has been hyper New York region focused. Mm -hmm. And as we go into the future and in our name within itself, the National Academy, we are really taking a conscious effort to um, tap our academicians and community of art patrons and, and students and everyone alike across the country because in, or, you know, in our namesake, we're national and we're leaning into that. Um, I think the bulk of our academicians live in the, this sort of region, but we have a good chunk of folks who are living elsewhere. Uh, what comes to mind immediately is California, Texas. Um, Marlon Blackwell comes to mind, and he's based out of Arkansas. Oh, yeah, so, Arkansas. Arkansas. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, again, an incredible opportunity to not focus on one region, one group of donors, one group of acquisition committee people, or, or, right. or, um, just anyone, we get to branch out and be different. And I, I want to add to your to the the answer you gave, Thomas, about why why the academy resonates with artists today. I think I think the thing that's that like we might not think about as people who are not practicing artists or architects is that often an artist in the studio is an isolated uh, practice. And of course, a number of these artists we're talking about are have large studios, have teams they work with. Um, maybe they they don't even work in a studio that's like project based, but I think there's there's something important about having access to colleagues and peers in a way that, um, like if you work at a if you teach at an art school, the politics of that kind of academic setting can be complicated in terms of who gets you know who can go on sabbatical when and who you know who gets the opportunities. And I think in this environment, it, there's it's a more open, even playing field amongst the members should they want to participate. Um, and I also think the long the long history is meaningful. Um, yeah, I, I just think there's there's some, for some of the artists in the group this year. It's um, just to mention some of the other names. There's 
you mentioned Rashid Johnson, Julie Moretu, Gary Simmons, Joanna Pousset-Dart was elected this year, Joanne Greenbaum, Andrew Freer, an architect who's working in Alabama. Um, and there's one more. Trent Doyle Hancock. Trent Doyle Hancock and Peter Halley. So that's two more. So so it's it's a it's an interesting mix, but it's also for for each one that I we spoke to when we kind of let them know about their being elected and would they you know accept the invitation to join the academy, you know for a lot of them it was like this is an honor and the, asso- the association with the other members is amazing and I you know some have said oh well you know I don't teach now and I would love an opportunity to be involved with um, emerging artists through education programs if like that's something we're thinking about. Um, so there, I, I think that there's something about, you know, plugging back into a community because as an artist has more and more success and, and status, I think sometimes those relationships can be, you know, they can be easy to navigate or not. Right. (laughs) And so, um, the Academy offers a framework for that. Yeah. And I think to, to add one more thing to that, I, how you mentioned Sarah, the Academy really thinking back to London and, and Paris, maybe the Salon era, I think the Academy has an opportunity to recreate that here for the mm-hmm. 21st century. So again, tying into that community of, of space, uh, but really the community of space being tied to the people who exist within the community. So um, yeah, I, I just continue to echo, I guess, the excitement around what we're building here and the, the community is really what's going to root us, especially in this moment where we don't have a home. So we're not inviting people to a space that's our own, but we're inviting people to enter this community that, you know, is existing in all these different galleries at the moment. Um, you know, we're here temporarily at the National Arts Club where we have office space, but we're also exhibiting a, a show, uh, which I'll plug again, Consequences of Parlor Game. Drop by, it's up until March thir- uh, 17th. 17th. Yeah. yeah, we'll definitely make sure to check that one out. And so what can you tell us about your future? exhibition plans for the collection and if our listeners want to learn more about the academy and the collection what's the website they can visit well the website is www.nationalacademy.org um thinking about um the fact that we don't have a permanent exhibition space we're in the process of finding a space the current show we have actually two current shows on right now one is at the national arts club and that, that that's the induction exhibition of the newly elected academicians um and that show uh, consequences of parlor game in a way references the games of chance of the surrealists that would take place in a parlor. And part of the show takes place in the historic parlor rooms of the national arts club. Um, so the idea was to intersperse, uh, you know, contemporary works within this historic setting of mostly portraits and landscape works that the national arts club owns as part of their collection. So it's this kind of mixture um, and thinking about the kind of dialogue art historically, even if, you know, some of the references aren't hundred percent clear, it's like, there's an openness in thinking about these contemporary artists in a 19th century setting. Um, and I will add that one of the things that came out of working on the show over the last months was the fact that most of the artists are working in ways that deal with abstraction in some way. And so that was really interesting for me to think about what are the possibilities of abstraction in this moment? If you think back to post-World War II, abstraction at that moment was was like embraced as a universal language by the abstract expressionists. Um, prior to that, there were, you know, abstraction wasn't always supported. Uh, I, like in the Degenerate Art Show in, in, the third, in 1937, 
Hitler considered abstract art a sign of like mental illness. So it was a way of othering um, certain artists in that moment. But now it's embraced, right? It's been embraced for a long time. But I think that post-World War II, that universal language is important. And we do, we are in a time of, while we're hopefully coming out of a pandemic, it's a time of great instability across the world. Is there something that abstraction allows? And talking to the artists leading up to the show, you know, there are different ways of thinking about it. Spirituality, um, some, uh, allowing for freer expression, a lot, you know, uh, working against the constraints of representation. Um, so there's some freedom that abstraction allows. And I think all of the artists talk about that. Peter Halley, for instance, talk, talks about diagram, like the diagrammatic, not so much about abstraction, but still the work reads in ways that are kind of abstract. Joanna Pusat Dart, I think, said to me in conversation, pretty much everything is abstract if you really look at it, right? <laughs> like everything is an abstraction of something, everything we can see and perceive. So um, I'm not quoting her, but that was what came out of the conversation we had as the show was being installed. And not having a permanent exhibition space, we're in the process, obviously, I mentioned we're looking for a space to move into um, within the, I think, within the year. But we've forged some partnerships. One is with the National Arts Club. We'll have a show coming up in May, June that will be our first in-person annual exhibition in a number of years. And that's something where the artists can submit work, you know, to be shown together. Um, and we're finalizing a theme for that. But also right now we have an exhibition at another location called PS122 Gallery, which is um, in the same building as Performance Space 22 in the East Village. Um, and that's an exhibition of media-based works. Six video works are in the collection. Those artists, um, Mary Lucia, Peter Campus, Carrie Mae Weems, Shazia Sikander, um, Elizabeth King, and I'm thinking around the room. <laughs> Uh, Kristen Markley, the six of them are academicians who, who their diploma works are video. And that is unique for the collection because they're the first six to, to contribute works for diploma works that way. Um, and that exhibition is up till Sunday. So that's called Media Relay, an exhibition in two parts. Um, and that involved those academicians naming um, artists that they've worked with or have some relationship to, to bring them into the show for the second half. Um, so I think I mentioned both these shows because they're very, very different ways of operating and making exhibitions happen and it's different kinds of work. So that, that speaks to the diversity of the Academy just amongst living academicians. Well, Sarah and Thomas, thanks so much again for coming onto the podcast and chatting with us about the National Academy of Design. It was really interesting learning about this historical organization and all of the innovative things you're doing to push it forward. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for Thank having you. us.